This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in your podcast app. I'm very uh, honored to be here to uh, talk about physical therapy for back pain. Uh, I was actually going to um, uh, present this with Katrina Rodenkirk. Uh, she's another therapist that we work with uh, closely here in, um, at the VA. Uh, but and she gave me the um, the permission to just share. You know, she had a medical um, emergency. Uh, she would like you all to know that she is doing well and recovering, and uh, she um, uh, is missing uh, presenting with me here. Okay, so we are going to talk about physical therapy for back pain. So some disclaimers uh, before we begin. Uh, any movement or exercises we discuss in our presentation today are not considered medical advice or medical treatment. So please confirm with your PT or medical provider if you have further questions or concerns, okay? Um, and also uh, for Katrina, she does she is a VR virtual reality um, um, guru here at the VA. She also, also wants to disclaim um, that for the VR trip, which is uh, an application for virtual reality, uh, she is getting about 120 days of free, three free trip licenses. So that was our dis disclaimer um, uh, before we begin. So the objective uh, for tonight is uh, we're going to talk about how physical therapy uh, as a resource for low back pain, what we know about pain. Uh, so you may have heard about chronic pain versus acute pain. We will go over that a little bit more in detail today, uh, uh, maybe a, a quick review. Uh, we're going to talk about a little bit about a brief review of anatomy, of the back anatomy. We will talk about we are bioplastic. So in, in the upcoming slides, we will um, uh, explain what bioplasticity uh, is. We talk about how your spine is actually quite resilient, okay, despite having pain and maybe uh, even chronic pain. And we're going to talk about some active management of spine pain is best evidence. And that includes some simple movement that I will go over at, uh, towards the end of the presentation. And also active management is uh, all of you sitting here with, with us tonight, actively engaging Okay, so that is also considered an active uh, approach to pain care. Okay, now what does a physical therapist do um, regarding low back pain? Some of you may even have had experiences with PTs in, a, in an outpatient setting. Uh, so our role in the healthcare system is to help restore movement, right? Strength and function to the body. So we view ourselves as movement specialists, right? Because uh, we, we often know, know and understand how pain can impact one's ability to engage in their various activities. Uh, so we are trained to you know, help that individual or the patient to restore that movement you know, via exercise, education, uh, so we can get back to some of those activities that are, are variable to you. Okay? Uh, we can perform physical evaluations of spinal movement, strength, and nerve health. So coming in, if we, if we see each other face-to-face, -face, uh, in addition to subjective evaluation, getting a good history, we will also do an objective uh, measurement, you know, testing your strength, range of motion, balance, watching your gait, for example, uh, just overall how you're functioning and, and moving. And what that may look like after pain, right? Because you may be moving a little bit differently, uh, guarding perhaps. Uh, and then we, and then based on that, we create a tailored treatment program to each patient. Okay, 
because we are all different individuals. We all come from different backgrounds, different ages, uh, even. And not every specific exercise or approach will fit everybody. Um, uh, I wish it was that simple, right? So we have really had to take uh, each case on an individual basis. And we work in the healthcare team and refer to other special, specialties when necessary, especially here in the uh, program that we, we run, IPRP, which is the intensive pain rehabilitation program. Chronic pain care really takes a village, right? Uh, uh, PTs are involved uh, in addition to behavioral health specialists, or pharmacists, uh, doctors uh, such as Dr. Chang, um, occupation therapists, dietitians. Um, so it, we want to uh, cover all the bases uh, regarding chronic pain. So we do work in the healthcare team. It's very interdisciplinary. Okay? And we find that approach is um, best uh, for outcome measures. So what is pain? So pain is a lived experience. It's an interaction of changing biology, psychological and social components that affect all aspects of our lives. And acute pain, we know that is an initial injury or if you come out of surgery, if you have surgery, post-surgical, that's considered acute pain. If you sprain an ankle, uh, you feel pain or experience pain, uh, you may have some inflammation, that's considered acute pain. In chronic pain, however, is pain that's lasting greater than three months, long after initial injury or illness has healed or gone away. So this is pain that may be going on for months, years, even decades, right? But this type of pain, uh, we can't attribute to an initial injury. Though, and yet this pain is very real. So let's move on to some basic back anatomy, you know, because this talk is really, um, more geared towards low back pain. So in the backs, uh, there are seven neck vertebras, okay? Or consider, we consider that the, the cervical spine. There are 12 mid-back vertebrae, or the thoracic spine. There are five low-back vertebrae, which is the lumbar spine. And then we have the sacrum, which is a triangular bone at the base of the spine, consists of five fused bones. And the end of the sacrum is a tailbone, is four to five fused bones, or what we call the coccyx. Now, along a spine, we do have muscles, right? We have these large, strong, lengthy muscles uh, that when engaged, it helps to keep our posture erect and upright. And we also have shorter, precise moving muscles within our spine that helps us with rotations, for example. So there are these muscles involved in the uh, back as well. Now, in between each vertebra, we do have what we call disc. And this, uh, for many of you, may be very familiar, right? You all maybe have heard of a uh, slip disc, disc herniations. So these are these uh, structures that helps with some shock absorption between the vertebrates. And uh, I'm gonna be talking about disc uh, a little bit more in detail uh, uh, as we go along with this presentation. And within each vertebra, each level of nerves, right? There's uh, uh, pairs of nerves that exit between the bones. And these nerves uh, do exit out into our peripherals, right? Uh, if, it, if it's coming out from the neck, it's going into your arms. If it's coming out from the back, it's going into your legs. And I think we all heard of uh, the term pinched nerves, right? Um, that's when a nerve potentially is being um, impinged on by maybe a disc or a bone or both. And that may sometimes can create some uh, nerve pain, like sciatica, right? 
And lastly, there's fascia. Uh, it's a system in the body that holds the body together. I actually want to spend a little more time on fascia because we don't think that fascia gets enough attention. Okay, now We talk about the bones and the spine, the muscles, the discs and the nerves um, uh, uh, quite often, right? Uh, but fascia is something that uh, are often kind of missed, doesn't get enough attention. And it does, um, uh, it's, it's actually a very important uh, system in the body that we need to talk about, especially in uh, uh, pain and low back pain and chronic pain. So fascia is a new way of understanding how everything is connected. So has any one of you uh, ever um, like prepped chicken or chicken breast, right? And we're trying to you know, separate the skin from uh, the chicken and that this fine film that's, that's transparent that you see, okay? So that's fascia. So we as human beings have fascia too, okay? So, um, so think of fascia as a connective tissue. It's a structural stability system of your body that supports, connects, and stabilizes everything from skin to bone, head to toe. So it's, it's, think about it, it's almost like a three-dimensional um, um, system here. And if we look at the image on the top right-hand corner, uh, let's say uh, the very top layer is the skin, the cylindrical-looking uh, um, structure. Let's say that is a muscle or tendon. And look at what's in between there, right? You see all these little kind of web-like type of um, structure. So that's fascia, okay? So if you can kind of imagine that skin moving on top of that, um, that, that tendon, right? Kind of gliding up and down, side is like even twisting, even, even compressed. Kind of imagine, kind of visualize how that fascia system is moving, right? So it's quite uh, interesting. So we find fascia um, at the superficial level, right? So if I kind of put my skin here, there's fascia underneath. Remember, fascia is everywhere. It also, is, we can find it very deep. Uh, it connects to bones as well. Now, some features of fascia, uh, it is fluid-based, or what we call bound water. And this image is a, is a very blown up uh, image of what a fascia looks like. So if you kind of look at it, it does kind of look, there's little water droplets almost, right? Uh, so it's very fluid-based, bound water. It's made of collagen, elastin, right? You know, some of these uh, words we may have heard from um, uh, like cosmetics, right? You know, enough co collagen, elastin, we kind of keep our skin you know, nice from wrinkle-free. So uh, it does have these components. Uh, it also has a, a higher hyaluronin, right? So uh, what we call it is a sponge effect. And here's the most important thing in my mind, okay? There's over 200 million sensory nerve endings that live in this system. So if we talk about pain, low back pain, chronic pain in general, but we will need to give, give a little more attention to the system, right? Now, going back on the sponge effect of the fascia. So, you know, we like to use analogies, right? It's a little easier to kind of visualize and understand so fascia, think of fascia like a sponge, right? You know, if ever one of you had um, like a really dry sponge, a sponge I haven't used in a while, right? To kind of sit in on the counter. And what does that dry sponge kind of feel like, right? It's kind of rough kind of on the edge. And you try to squeeze it, it doesn't really have the bounce or, or elasticity, right? But what if we put that sponge underneath water and slowly kind of work that sponge within the water? Right? Eventually that sponge will kind of come back into shape uh, and then you can start working again, right? Absorbing water and, and putting out water, okay? <clears throat> so we're going to look at a fascia system as such, 
like a sponge. So I really like this uh, visual here. So remember, fascia connects everything, right? It surrounds our bones, uh, or even our blood vessels. So on the left um, uh, image, on the left-hand uh, side of the image here, right? So this is fascia that is not quote-unquote hydrated, okay? So look, think of that as like a dry sponge, right? So if ever, any of you ever felt stiff in the morning, right? You're moving around, it's like, wow, that's really tight in my spine. So in addition to thinking about your muscles and your joints being a little stiff, no? Also, a fascia system is in play here, okay? So if we look at that image there, right? Uh, versus the image on the right, which is a more, more pliable fascia, right? So think about the, the working the sponge underwater. It's more resilient and more elastic. You can notice that a lot more space for the blood vessels and the, um, the nerves to, um, to exit through, right? No, versus uh, the image on the left, a dry sponge, okay? Now, how do we get our fascial system to be hydrated, right? And kind of working our sponge. Just general movement is great, okay? Stretching uh, would be a great uh, way to get a fascial system to be uh, more healthy. You know, stretching, uh, foam rolling, right? If you ever have any experience um, being on a foam roller, the, the fascia system, the, uh, in addition to stretching, it, they love compression. So if it can compress and release, that can also work our fascia system, right? And how many uh, of you have experience uh, the wake up in the morning feeling stiff? And after you move around a little bit, right? Stretch, stretch, so forth. We often do feel a little better, right? And we, we can't give all the credit to muscles and joints and tendons and ligaments. The fascia system is also in play here. And that's why I wanted to uh, spend a little bit more time on, on fascia uh, this evening uh, because, uh, again, we don't feel like it gets enough love. It gets enough attention. Yeah? So that leads us to um, the topic of bioplasticity. So what does bioplastic mean? So all living organisms adapt, right? That includes plants, animals, humans. So this property is called bioplasticity. So bioplasticity makes us stronger if we lift weights, right? Smarter if we think a lot, right? Using our brain, right? Using brain power, reading, um, or even sitting here listening to, to me talking about low back pain and um, uh, getting educated on, on uh, these topics that would make us a little uh, smarter, right? Because we engage in actively and fitter if we exercise. Now, I also want to note there's also a dark side of bioplasticity, right? It's not always positive. So let's say if we don't move or we don't exercise, you know, we stay in bed all day, for example, right? Bioplasticity is also in play, right? Negatively, right? We've all heard about muscle atrophy. You, know, you don't use it, you lose it. So that is also bioplasticity. So think about the fascial system, right? When we do do these movements, you know, we're not just working on muscles and joints and tendons and ligaments, we're also working on fascia systems so they can adapt. So that leads us to the set principle. So form follows function. So the set principle, set stands for specific adaptation to impose demand. So, and the reason why we have two images of the orca whale here uh, to suggest the set principle in action. So on the top um, image is the orca whale in captivity. 
and on the bottom is an ochre whale in the wild. And you notice anything different, right? The dorsal fin, right? The dorsal fin uh, with the whale in captivity is kind of curled down, whereas the dorsal fin of the whale in the wild is pretty straight, right? And the reason being, you know, the wild orca has a lot of room to, to um, swim, right? His body is put on, on demand from different winds, different currents. You can't even say different diet, right? Uh, versus the orca whale in captivity, there's only so much room for it to swim. But the variables are not as diverse as the whale on the bottom. And hence, the dorsal fin adapts, right? Now, I'm not suggesting the orca whale on the top in captivity is uh, less healthy than the bottom one. It just is just to show uh, the set principle in action. Okay. So, um, so as human beings, we adapt as well. Okay. Uh, so, in the next slide, we we talk about some images, right? So, whenever we get X-rays, scans, CTs, MRIs. Uh, you know, it may show some changes in the spine, okay? So, and that may suggest just normal signs of aging, okay? So bones do adapt in response to the loads they absorb during specific activities over a lifetime. So our skin shows signs of age with wrinkles and spots, okay? So uh, this image here is of an older woman, obviously, right? Wrinkles in, in her face and her hands, and then a, a younger uh, girl. Uh, so very different in, in, in skin, right? And we see that. So we want to view what's going on in, inside the body, right? That whenever we take a scan, x-ray, and we see spurs or osteophytes or there's are terms that are still being used, right? Degeneration, your disc are more flat than before. Let's try to normalize some of that, right? Now, we, uh, we're okay now, as we age, you know, expect when it on the skin, right? Our hair grows gray. It may even fall off. <laughs> but in the inside, we also age as well. So we want to look at a spine as signs of aging in other ways, right? Osteophytes and degenerative changes are kind of like wrinkles on the inside. Let's say in IPRP, uh, we have this, um, we talk to our patients uh, how you know, it's okay, it's, like, you know, society say, hey, you have degenerative joint disease or degenerative disc disease, right? To describe what's going on in your spine. But will we ever go up to someone and say, hey, you have degenerative face disease, right? Because we have wrinkles. It doesn't sound very nice, right? So, so again, we want to normalize what's going on inside the bodies as we age. So again, bones adapt in response to the loads they absorb during specific activities over a lifetime. So we want to kind of view the osteophytes of the spurs that, as you see um, in, in this image. They're just kind of like calluses on the inside, right? You know, if I work with my hands often outdoors, uh, my skin will toughen up and get calluses, okay? Uh, because of the, the demand I impose my hands to. So same thing with our spine, right? You know, every time we walk, we lift, every time we do something, our spine do take up loads, okay? And our spines are designed to do that. And in time, it will adapt, right? Kind of like the, um, the orca whales I just showed, right? So we all adapt. 
So the human body is more like a tree than a car. Okay. So it's resilient, it's robust, and it's adaptable. So in this image, you know, there's a tree that shows that it's growing over um, a, a guardrail, right? Okay. Whereas the other tree too is uh, right, uh, is not. So we, we, we suggest that the tree growing over the guardrail is less healthy than the other one. I actually may, may even argue it actually is, is doing quite well, right? It's, it's adapting to its environment, okay? So again, going back to how a spine and a body really, you know, we're constantly adapting, okay? So again, we're resilient, robust, and adaptable. Now to illustrate this, because we want to tie back to pain, right? Um, so um, we want to normalize what we see on a scan. Now we can't predict pain by looking at scans, right? Looking at x-ray. If we see an x-ray and see a lot of changes, you know, we can definitely say that person has pain. So in this study, uh, they looked at 33 um, articles uh, that looked at imaging of asymptomatic um, participants. So these are people who have no history for back pain, right? Um, total of about a little over 3,000 uh, uh, participants was in the study uh, from uh, 33 articles. And they broke it down into ages, right? You know, age uh, 20, 30, 40, 50, and so on, okay? Um, and I just want to highlight uh, just the disbulge here, right? The disbulge, okay? So again, remember, these are people who have no pain or history of back pain. And even at 20, uh, in the 20 year uh, age group, the scan is showing 30% of, of a disherniation already, okay? If you look at the other um, uh, conditions, right? The loss of this type, 24%. And then as we age, right, 30, 40, 50, so on, that percentage does increase over time for all conditions, okay? So the take-home message is, you know, we want to you know, look at the results of our scans with a grain of salt sometimes, okay? Now, we're not suggesting scans and x-rays and CTs and MRIs or, or, or uses. No, they actually give us a lot of information. So moving on about the 10 facts about back pain, uh, persistent back pain can be scary, but really dangerous, okay? So we know that only about 1% um, of low back pain are medically serious, uh, such as fractures, cancers, or infections. Getting older is not a cause of back pain. Persistent back pain is rarely associated with serious tissue damage. So we look at the saying here, um, you know, it's seriously painful, but usually not medically serious. Scans rarely show the cause of back pain, as we uh, uh, just um, uh, talked about with the, uh, the study. Uh, pain with exercise and movement doesn't mean you're doing harm. And later on in the, in the um, slides, we're going to talk about exercise dosage, um, soreness, right? Uh, what is to be expected. Back pain is not caused by poor posture. Back pain is not caused by a weak core. Backs do not wear out with everyday lifting and bending. Pain flares don't mean you are damaging yourself. And lastly, injections, surgery, and strong drugs usually occur. They may help short-term, but um, long-term, uh, um, uh, it may not be as helpful. Okay? So those are 10 facts about back pain. Okay? So 
So yeah, bags do not wear out with everyday lifting and bending, right? And this may be some messaging that maybe, oh, but my even my PTs in the past have told me that or, or suggest that or doctors, right? Uh, so remember, our backs are resilient. You know, it's designed to move. It's designed to compress. It's designed to rotate, etc. Okay. <clears throat> now we do, uh, as we age, uh, do see those calluses on the inside, right? Um, uh, that's a fact. But remember, it, that does not necessarily mean or always equate to pain. Okay. Uh, spine movement and loading is safe and builds structural resilience when it is graded. And the key word there uh, is. Graded, so we want to always uh, go on a graded approach, right? We don't go fast and hard, slow and steady. So let's talk about disc a little bit uh, more in detail, okay? So I think oftentimes when we talk about disc, <coughs> we've kind of visualized something as insecure or fragile or vulnerable, right? Okay. Um, so they, they, you may even uh, have an image of a donut or a jelly-filled donut, right? So something that's kind of easily kind of kind of squishy. Uh, very fragile, but let's change the narrative of what discs are. Okay, so let's look at disc instead of looking at it as like a jelly-filled donut. Let's look at them as more like a, a as a living, adaptable force transducer. Okay, <clears throat> so force transducers are uh, are designed to absorb loads and respond to loads by adapting and changing shape. So if you look at the image on the bottom right, so let's look at a disc as more of, of that structure than the jelly-filled donut, right? And these structures, these force transducers, you know, love movement and love compression. Okay. Now remember, they they design um, uh, to take on all this uh, load, right? You can even argue we don't don't get these type of compression or movement, uh, or this can actually become less healthy. I do want to talk a little bit more uh, a little bit more about the biopsychosocial approach, and this may uh, may have been talked about in previous um, uh, lectures. So. Here, especially in the, in the VA, the IPRP program, we look and kind of attack pain via this approach versus a biomedical, okay? So in the biopsychosocial approach, we do consider the biology. Yes, you know, that is very important, right? If a back hurts, we've got to look at the back, look at the structures, the spine, the bones, the nerves, muscles, fascia, right? Very important. But we know in pain, especially in chronic pain, it's not just tissue-specific, we got to look at the uh, the whole person. We have to consider this psychological part of pain, right? How the person thinks about the pain, the beliefs and attitudes, you know, the mood, the past trauma experiences, and the emotions. Expectation uh, would be here as well, okay? And also the social factor, right? You know, how much social support we, we have or not have. Our family background, culture, and traditions come into play here. The different cultures uh, may kind of view pain a little bit differently, right? You know, socioeconomic status in ed- education. So we want to look at all three of these um, uh, factors, especially in chronic pain. And look, just looking at the tissues uh, itself um, uh, is not enough often. So this segues into uh, what we call the whole person physical therapy, right? So you know, ask yourself, you know, and we also ask the patients, like, do you feel safe to move, right? After having back pain, acute versus chronic, but oftentimes pain really impacts one's ability to move because who likes to be in pain, right? We tend to guard, et cetera. But eventually we do want to you know, stop moving, right? You now we can't guard forever. No, but it's 
easier said than done. Okay, so we one of our job is to you know, educate the patients that you know it is safe to move, you know, even though it is very scary. Okay, but it's okay to bend slowly, gradually. Okay, and also you know you want to consider uh, all your healthcare providers communicating around your pain. Right, going back to the interdisciplinary approach, you know we want everybody on the same page, basically. Right, the messaging is very important with pain. Do you have the resources to be successful with your low back care? Uh, resources such as um, uh, programs, uh, even these series of lectures that, that could be very helpful. I also want to add how up-to-date are your current providers with pain, knowledge, and education, right? So you do want to find a provider, ideally, that understands pain, the complexity of pain. Uh, the most up-to-date, okay? And hence, you know, your outcomes uh, could be a, a lot more successful. So again, whole person PT, okay? Not just as simple as do the exercise. No, no how has this pain impacted your function? No, not just ac activity, right? No, does it, has it impacted your ability to socialize, engage with other people, your relationships, perhaps, right? No, when you're in a bad mood or, uh, when you're stressed, does the pain go up or down, right? We have to consider all those. So that leads us to, in the VA, we have what we call the whole health circle. Uh, so we can kind of, let's talk about this um, in a little more in detail, okay? So <clears throat> the patient, okay, or me, is you, okay? So you're in the center. And around it is mindful and awareness, okay? Very important, right? We want to identify and be mindful of, of, of a situation, and here's what I want to really focus on, right? You see all the bubbles around you or me, okay? Let's start, start uh, with the surroundings. Now we have to consider someone's surroundings, right? The environment, you know, whether it be physical, emotion, emotional, how that may impact pain. What about your personal development, right? Your personal life, work life, your goals, right? Those are very important. Food and drink, right? Nutrition is very important to discuss regarding pain. Are you getting enough sleep or rest, right? The recharge bubble. Now, how about your family, friends, and coworkers, right? The people around you, very important, right? Do you feel listened to? Um, do you do surround with pe people um, that are empathetic to what you're, you're going through or, or not, right? It can have a vast impact on you. Spirit and soul, right? Now, this doesn't necessarily mean uh, you have to be religious, right? Now, this is maybe having a feeling of something bigger than us, right? You know, growing and connecting. The power of the mind, right? Relaxing and healing. Um, the mindfulness and meditation can live here. And lastly, working your body, right? Energy and flexibility. This is where exercise and movement uh, uh, engages, uh, lives in. Now, I want you to look at all these bubbles. And if you're in, ever in pain or even chronic pain, back pain, how that pain has affected each and one of those bubbles, right? So you know, chronic pain does have a ripple effect that can impact all those bubbles. And that's why when we approach a healthcare PT um, uh, also, we gotta look at the whole person, right? You can't just look at, oh, your back hurts, we just go to the back. We gotta consider all the other factors uh, that may be impacted by pain. And surrounding that is conventional and complementary approaches, um, professional treatment, that's where your providers live, right? In, in the area. And then around it is the community, right? The community is very important. Are we engaging with um, 
of a community. And again, think of, of how chronic pain can impact all those, okay? Uh, and the VA, this is how we approach um, healthcare and PT as well. All right, so let's talk about uh, this study here. So uh, since we're talking about um, movement and exercise, right? And we're also talking about how pain is very complex. Our belief system, expectations, and can also factor in how uh, outcomes may be. So this study uh, actually looked at, um, they, they had two groups of um, participants. Both groups uh, uh, work in the same field, right? You know, um, uh, <clears throat> it's a combination of hotel, housekeepers, building maintenance workers, et cetera. And they work on different uh, um, ends of the campus. So they don't have any interaction, but they have the same duties. Uh, so what they did was uh, for one group, they told them, hey, guess what? You know, whatever you're doing, pushing, pulling, lifting, that's considered exercise, okay? The other group wasn't told that. They, were, they weren't informed that, hey, whatever you're doing is considered exercise. Um, and then about a month later, they came back. And what they found was very interesting. That the group that was informed that what they're doing is enough, right? It's actually considered exercise. They found that that group had a significant reduction in blood pressure over time. The informed group lost an average of two pounds over four weeks you know, versus the group that wasn't informed, even though they had the same duties. The informed group had a significantly healthier um, as measured by the body fat percentage or the BMI. So actually, the, physically, they actually had a change, right? So priming for positive beliefs can actually improve our health. And this is one of the um, uh, examples of the flyer that actually they put uh, in the locker room for the informed group. Like, did you know your work is good exercise, right? The vacuuming 15 minutes burns 50 calories. The bagging, carrying uh, trash for 15 minutes burns 50 calories. So they were told that. And, um, you know, four weeks later, they actually had a, 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 a different um, a measurement physically, right, for the better versus the group that wasn't told that, even though they did the same amount of work. Now, why are we presenting this? I want you all to give yourself more credit for what we're doing. Okay, I know that uh, we're not saying exercise is bad, you shouldn't exercise, right? No, but instead of looking at exercise and, and movement and chores as two separate things, why don't we put the exercise inside the overall movement bubble, right? So all movement counts is actually what we're proposing. So give yourself credit for doing housework, going outside for that hike, walking around the block, dancing, gardening, childcare even. But you may be doing a lot more than you give yourself credit for. Again, I'm not suggesting to stop going to the gym, right? If you find that that does give you a value and you enjoy going to the gym, yes, you know, that is very helpful and beneficial. You know? But how often have you kind of came home and go, man, I'm so tired. I really don't want to go to the gym tonight. If you think back on your day, you know, you may have actually walked a lot of steps, right? You may have done a lot of errands. All that in all mind counts, okay? So all movement counts, okay? That's our model. So we want, we want to look at movement, kind of like how we look at nutrition, right? You know, if you ever um, have experience with nutrition, uh, or a dietitian, you know, variety is the best, right? You know, get your portion of carbs or sugar, et cetera, um, fruits and vegetables, meats and proteins, right? So we all know 
the being an omnivore is, is the best way for nutrition. So we're going to propose, let's be movement omnivores. Let's look at movement like we do um, uh, with nutrition. So go back to the orca whale, right? The orca whale the, um, in the previous slides, okay, the orca whale in the wild has more variety, right? And hence uh, the dorsal fin looks a, little, a lot, lot different than the orca whale in, in, the, uh, in captivity. Now, I think a lot of you may be wondering, well, how much is enough, right? Okay, so let's talk about a little bit about exercise dosage. Now remember, all movement counts. So we like to use the rule of 10, okay? And this is uh, from the source core kinetic. Um, so on the left head, the, on the left um, image there, you see uh, what we call it is the board scale. It's a, it's a perceived uh, exertion scale. So zero would be at rest. Let's say if I'm just sitting, I'm not really even, that is the exertion rate of zero. Right? And then as, as we, uh, whatever we're doing, as it becomes more hard, right? A rate of perceived exertion would be at five or six. And then at level 10, it's almost like that's maximum. That's the hardest thing you've ever done. <clears throat> okay. And then we also have the visual analog uh, scale of pain, which I think uh, many of you are familiar with, right? You know, if we go to the clinic, oh, uh, give, me, give me a scale from zero to 10, what is the pain? So for example, let's say your back pain is at a seven, then you can allow yourself to do an activity that is kind of moderate, right, at a three. So we kind of do the root of 10. Whatever that activity may be, it could be walking, lifting, um, riding a stationary bike, whatever that may be, right? So you can kind of get to a moderate level. If you have a, a level of seven pain, if you have a pain level of two, right, then you can maybe go up to eight, uh, on the activity of the exertion, okay? So sometimes the rule of 10 uh, may help people to, okay, uh, I think this, this is uh, the right amount of uh, exercise or movement for me, okay? Depending on the pain. Uh, you notice uh, that, you know, even with pain, we do encourage people to move, right? So we feel like using this scale uh, would be helpful to, for someone to gauge uh, how much to do without doing, doing too much where they do flare themselves up. Uh, and also if they're doing too little, right? Okay. And many may even experience some soreness afterwards, right? So we want to monitor the response to that dose. So after about zero to 48 hours, usually you may feel something maybe in the form of um, uh, soreness. So for example, if, if it's well under a separate level, okay? Again, this is very subjective, right? Then the next time you do the activity exercise, you can increase the dosage, right? Maybe do something a little bit more um, uh, that, that is more, more exerting. Okay. If you feel like oh, that's the soreness of what I'm feeling is at an acceptable level, just keep it the same. Don't change anything. Let's say if you walk for 30 minutes and you feel like oh, that's about right, uh, uh, just keep it at that the same level amount of activity. Now, if you feel like it's really sore, maybe even discomfort, uh, discomfort even pain over the subtle level, then you definitely want to decrease the dosage, okay? So again, this is just a little guideline uh, to kind of monitor how much is enough, you know, how little is too little or just right. You also want to talk about delayed onset of muscle soreness, okay? So sometimes it may be hard to tell the difference between pain that is related to soreness, such as a pain flare from overdoing it, and actual pain that is related to tissue damage, okay? 
so after exercising, uh, you know, we do often expect some soreness, right? So, and this delayed onset muscle soreness, or we call DOMS in short, is a normal inflammatory reaction in your body. It means that your tissues have been stimulated to get stronger and become more resilient. Uh, and DOMS can help the body get stronger and better able to tolerate activity. So remember the, uh, the adaptability, the resiliency um, of a tissues, right? So we can adapt in a positive manner, um, uh, knowing that you know, movement is safe, right? Most movement are safe. Now, if we do feel high level of discomfort, right? Sharp localized pain. Now that's different. Um, that, that may suggest some tissue damage to the, to the muscle, like a strain or a tear even, or the connective tissue, okay? So that's very different than uh, actual soreness, okay? Um, so we have this um, uh, phrase that we use often in the classes, sore but safe, right? Hurt does not equal to harm. You may work to the point where you may have a pain flare, and even that we're not too concerned about, because we know that those flares can um, and will decline. So it's just the body's way of telling you, mm, next time maybe ease off a little bit, okay? But soreness is okay. So what can you do for your spine health? Uh, so active management, right? So active management meaning you're doing something actively. And that doesn't always necessarily mean actively doing something, right? You could be sitting here engaging with me and other providers and learn about pain. That's active management. Versus passive management, right? Passive would be having something or someone doing something to you, like massage, uh, tense, electrical stimulation, injection medication. And that's okay, right? You know, there's a time and place for passive approaches, uh, but we feel an active approach is, uh, is really what's, what's going to kind of help patients get over that hump, especially in chronic pain. Motion is lotion. So remember, all movement counts. So give yourselves credit for what you're doing already, okay? Find value in the activity that you're doing. So remember, what you're doing is movement. You know, whatever you find valuable. Right? If you love doing chores, right? doing laundry, I don't. <laughs> but if that you find it valuable, yes, you know, that counts as, as movement. So always work your goals towards activities that you find valuable. And again, the national recognition for physical activity order is currently 150 minutes per week, right? Comes up to about 30 minutes um, per day for five days, right? if you uh, separate it that way. But remember, a lot of the things that you're doing um, uh, also counts, okay? So we, we don't always have to like lock ourselves in into those 150 minutes. You actually may be doing more than that, okay, already. Uh, and then we know that time improves most back pain, okay? Uh, and again, less than 1% of low back pain are medically serious. And again, you know, we like this um, phrase, seriously painful, but not medically serious. So you know, I hope that gives you a little more confidence that you know, even with pain, we can slowly stop moving to kind of help the back um, start engaging in the activities that, that you, you value and, and, and start living again, right? especially in chronic pain. Um, and here is, um, uh, this is where Katrina uh, uh, would come in and talk about yoga, because she, she, in addition to VR, virtual reality, yoga uh, has been found to be very helpful in uh, low back pain. So these are some, some things that are maybe a little bit outside of what you, you think about traditional PT, like exercise education. Uh, so you know, studies have found uh, with yoga and mindful movement, it has really helped a lot of low back pain and depression. 
PTSD, there's not enough uh, studies to really show uh, a significant um, impact, but, but, but it does show a lot of promise, uh, even for um, uh, people who are suffering from PTSD, that yoga and mindful movement can, can help greatly. But we do need a little bit more uh, research uh, regarding that subject matter. Uh, and then VR, right? Virtual reality, right? So we're talking about kind of thinking a little bit outside of um, uh, what traditional PTs do with exercising education. Um, uh, virtual reality is something that you may um, engage in, in uh, uh, even now, maybe even more so as, uh, as we're moving along with technology. Uh, there's a study, um, um, a trial out of Stanford um, uh, about 180 adults, mean age of about 52, all with low back pain with grid in five years. And after they, they went through some VR treatment, uh, they found that there was a significant symptom reduction with virtual reality, with mood, stress, and activity interference. So, for example, some of these applications that, that are in the VRs uh, would, it's actually kind of fun, right? We kind of, uh, kind of get you to kind of reach, for example, right, reach down. And you can see how healthy that may be for someone who may be very fearful of moving the back because of pain, right? Like bending or twisting, for example. And being in that VR environment gives them a little bit of a safer space to do that. And then the most important thing, it carries over into their everyday function. So VR, yoga, um, uh, it's been shown to be very effective. And don't be surprised if you start seeing these um, uh, as, a, as a mode of, um, uh, as part of a treatment plan, uh, if you do engage with uh, PTs or the doctors even. Very exciting uh, things uh, to, to talk about. So with that said, I do want to uh, spend maybe five to 10 minutes uh, and talk about some simple exercises that, that, that may be helpful to you all, okay? Uh, so the first one I'm gonna do uh, is called a pelvic clock, okay? So I'm gonna actually stop sharing, just kind of focus on me, okay? So pelvic clocks, so you can do it in sit-in. And just pretend that it's sitting on a face of the clock, right? So six o'clock would be uh, of four, 12 o'clock, three o'clock, nine o'clock, etc. okay? So working on some pelvic tilts can help with spinal movement. So remember going back on the fascia, right? Stiffness. So you can just gently tilt your pelvis into six o'clock, 12 o'clock, right? You can start getting a spine to move. An extension, you can go to six o'clock, 12 o'clock, your spine is flexed, right? Just do that maybe five to 10 reps, okay? Especially for those who have a, a, a sitting most of the day, right? There's a desk job like me. So doing a few of these may be very helpful during the day, okay? Pelvic clocks, six and 12. Now the clock also has three and nine, right? So you can go to the three o'clock, nine o'clock. This will help with some side bend, okay? Side bending. Now the clock has more than six, 12, three, nine, right? It has a diagonals, right? So you can go into, uh, let's say four o'clock and uh, two o'clock, right? No, no, 10 o'clock, sorry, okay? I always get it mixed up, okay? Do the diagonals, the other diagonal. And then lastly, go around the clock, right? Get your pelvis to move around the face of the clock. One direction, and then reverse the direction. You can even make bigger circles or smaller circles, up to you, okay? Be creative in your movements, okay? So I, we love pelvic clocks, it's easy, it's effective, you can do it just about anywhere, right? Even do it in, in sitting. I had a patient earlier today, 
you know, was telling me, hey, I should do pivot clocks while I'm driving, right? When I'm, when I'm stuck at the stoplight. Next one is uh, just doing some rotations, right? So remember, a spine all designed to flex, extend, and, and rotate. And again, if you don't have pain, you know, just go to where you feel comfortable. But right? we, we definitely don't want to push it beyond where you can uh, you feel comfortable. Okay, so just go as far as you feel comfortable. Hold on for a, a couple of seconds and reverse. Okay, if it's really painful and really un uncomfortable ease off a little bit, okay? But if you feel like, oh, there's a little bit of pain, it's not too bad, you can push it a tad. So nudge it a little bit, okay? Without blowing past your edge. We call it edge or your limit, okay? So just doing a few rotations could be helpful in addition to pelvic clocks, okay? Another thing that we like to do is um, just doing some simple shoulder strokes for, for neck, okay? So, but instead of doing this, we don't want this, that's too, too tense. Think about your collarbone, Kind of going for elevator ride, okay? So collarbone just gently going up for elevator ride and gently coming back down, okay? So it's very gentle movement here, all right? And of course the neck, we can also move the neck, right? Rotations, very gentle, side bend. Just really go where your, your neck and your joints allow you to go. And again, for those who may be in pain, just go to where you feel comfortable. And then lastly, I want to show you a, a quick way to stretch your hamstring, also sciatic nerve, okay? So I'm going to put my camera down a little bit. Uh, very easily, right, you can extend one leg up so the heel is still on the floor. Keep the legs slightly bent. You don't want it straight. Keep it back straight and lean forward. And you can feel a little bit of stretch in your hamstrings, okay? And then from here, pump your ankles up and down. What this is doing is kind of, it's kind of helping to glide that nerve, right? Okay. Do five reps. Five reps feels okay. Do 10. Remember the exercise dosage we were talking about before. And then you can reverse. Okay. Lean forward, feel a little tension, and then pump your ankles up and down. So. Some of this may be uncomfortable, but again, you in, you're in control, right? Uh, ease off if you need to. Uh, and then really monitor the effects of soreness or even pain later, and then adjust your exercise doses accordingly. Okay. Uh, and with that, um, I've come to the end, the conclusion of my, of my lecture. Thank you so much, Dr. Chan. We really appreciated that. Um, and especially thank you for showing us some of those exercises too. Um, I know we do have some questions um, in the chat. And um, I think, you know, one of the questions has to do a little bit with some of the um, exercises that you just kind of showed us, but I know a lot of us spend a lot of time sitting, um, perhaps working on the computer, and, and um, it's not uncommon that um, a lot of us will get low back pain. Um, assuming there's not any medically serious condition causing that back pain, um, are there certain um, kind of like therapies that you recommend more in the longer term for things that we can do to just improve low back health? Okay, so not specifically um, for sitting, for someone who sits, so sits off, it's kind of overall health, yeah. Yeah, I would say again, uh, like any movement um, is um, beneficial, right? So let's say we do sit often, 
every 30 minutes, uh, try to get up, right? But we understand that some of that may not be realistic. So doing some of those pelvic clocks may be quite helpful. Some, some, even some seated stretches for hamstrings, pumping ankles could be helpful. Uh, no, we really engage. Uh, we also also really encourage people to just engage in activities that is very valuable to them, that, that they find important, right? It could be as little as just walking around the block in the evenings with a loved one. That could be helpful for, for low backs, right? Um, uh, you know, I, I understand there's a lot of exercise that, that really focus on core strengthening, looking at abs tight or stretching. I think those are okay, right? At the same time, especially chronic pain, we gotta be a little careful, right? Sometimes we always just instruct people to be always in the, in the correct posture that actually can become counterproductive at times. Okay, they actually make God even more. They make start thinking, well, if I'm not in the correct posture, if I look at my core strong, it's going to equate to pain, right? We, we, we've got to be very careful with the messaging. So we here, especially in the pain clinic, we, we, we do offer, go out, do things that you enjoy, that you find valuable, right? Whether that be fishing or, or walking with a loved one or going to the gym even, right? Stationary bikes. So uh, I feel like any movement will help with back pain. So yoga, right, uh, uh, can, can be quite helpful. Tai Chi, I've, I've often heard a lot of people uh, talk about doing Tai Chi as well. So. Thank you. And I think one very interesting thing you talked about that we haven't really heard much about um, in the lecture series so far um, was just about fascia and um, its importance in the human body. Um, I think you mentioned a couple things specifically that can address that, like the foam rolling and, and stretching. But um, I was wondering if you can talk a little bit about like just certain therapies that um, people might consider just to help improve the function or the health of their fascia. Yeah. So in, in addition to foam rolling, right, which uh, applies the compression that fascia loves, right? Uh, just stretching, right? Um, and, and stretching doesn't have to be just uh, doing a hamstring stretch. Have we ever seen a cat or an animal stretch, right? They just, they just go to where they feel good, right? So, um, again, we encourage a lot of creativity, but there's really no right or wrong in, in, in doing a lot of these movements, right? So if I kind of do this stretch, you can say I'm helping with the fascia, right? I can go multi-directional even, right? Um, so I, I find that um, a lot of, like, PTs even, right, they teach exercises where it's very kind of locked in, right? There's only a specific way to stretch a hamstring um, or your calf or your back. But let's kind of reframe how we're thinking. Now, this is go where our body feels good, right? Now, now we're built to do multi-directional type of movements, right? So why can't we do a stretch that is geared more towards those multi-directional movements, okay? Kind of like a cat or an animal, how they stretch, okay? So I, I, we feel like that that would be a, a really great way to get a fascial system to be very uh, a little more healthy or hydrated. You know, sometimes um, the a pain physician's a, approach to managing low back pain um, it does include a, a variety of, of therapies, maybe medications okay. or recommendations for, for certain mind-body therapies or, or even injections or yeah. procedures. These are kind of some of the things we've, talked about in the past few weeks. Um, if, if a patient is undergoing 
maybe various therapies for back pain and also sees a physical therapist at the same time. Does, how does that change or, or does it change your, uh, your approach to that patient? Yeah. So I look at like medication, injections, so forth, as, as a way to maybe calm the nervous system down a little bit more so they can engage in, in a little bit more um, activities, right? So it may not change how I approach it. If they're really sore, I may say, hey, take a little easy. Next time I see you when the soreness from whatever procedure uh, they have um, um, experienced, um, once it calms down, then we re-engage into these uh, movements. So, um, so that's how I approach it. So it really doesn't uh, change how my treatment plan for them. But there, there is value in injections and medication, you know, um, uh, for sure, right? You know, kind of, I look at it as more, almost like a kind of, kind of having like a like Kickstarter, right? So, so patients can kind of engage a bit more uh, with the actual activity. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I think sometimes um, if, you know, we can see sometimes injections or procedures can uh, be helpful and, and maybe it can be helpful to help um, kind of tolerate a little bit more movement and um, yeah. mm-hmm. gaining strength. Yeah. Um, an- another interesting topic you, you talked about was uh, bioplasticity and um, how it could how it could be a good thing where, uh, you know, doing physical activity can lead to increased strength. Um, but also it could be a bad thing if you, if you don't uh, use it, you kind of lose it. Um, as a physical therapist, um, are there ways that you kind of help assess for some of those positive bioplastic changes in patients? Yeah. So, I mean, so specifically, I mean, you can go into detail, like actually measuring muscle girth, right. <laughs> uh, or, or range of motion, right. If someone comes in with a lack of range in certain joints, um, but via exercise, education, movement, and in time, you know, we do want to see adaptation in the form of you know, bigger muscles, strength, range of motion. And then to me, most important, how are they moving, right? Uh, the expectation would be if that happens, they're going to be moving more efficiently. Uh, the, the gait or the walking actually may look, look more normalized, right, compared to uh, maybe before the therapy has started. So that's bioplasticity um, in action, right? <laughs> Positively. Right? Yeah, the, the good side of it. <laughs> yeah. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.